Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. We pray you are encouraged by today's message. For more information or to stay connected with what's happening at the river, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the River Claremont. We finished last week on Easter Sunday of just the importance of having boldness and courage as a, as a believer. And uh, it doesn't necessarily come natural to take a stand for things. You know, nobody in here wants to, to rock the boat all the time and always be, you know, I, I hate confrontation. I will avoid confrontation like nobody, you know. Like, I just, I'm not like a confrontation person. I mean, I think it, sometimes, it's, sometimes it comes out of my spirit, and then I'm like, okay, great, here we go. And you can't stop your mouth, and you're like, okay, God, just have your way. But <laughs> boldness, Haywood comes out, shh. Don't tell them about Haywood. Secret, who's Haywood? <laughs> we have fun here, okay. But the apostles prayed, they were threatened, they were thrown in prison because of miracles. And it's astounding how God's miraculous power offends the world so greatly that they actually violently attack it. And they threw people in prison all because someone was miraculously healed. And they didn't like that because it actually represents freedom. Where Jesus is allowed to move, man cannot be controlled. And that's why the world reacts that way because the Luciferian structure of the world, Lucifer, has always sought to dominate and control. He came to kill, steal, and destroy, but Christ came that you might have life and life more abundantly. Amen. The grace of God is so potent and so strong that he fabricated and made you from the dust of the earth, made you in his image so that you would have free will, so that you could actually decide whether or not you wanted to follow God. He could have made you a servant that had no choice, but our God's nature is, I will give you freedom. And by freedom, you can choose either to follow me or to deny me. We fight for freedom. We believe for freedom. These guys stood for freedom. They were arrested. They were threatened. They asked the Lord to give them boldness. Amen. So now moving on to Acts chapter 5. Something that I've, that I've always thought about that's pretty fascinating. Before I read this, let me just say, do you take, it, take the scripture off? Take the scripture. Before I say this, you can put the, you can put the uh, sermon thing up. Um, enjoy life, people, okay? The number one thing I could say as a pastor to you is learn to appreciate and enjoy life. Life is a gift. Yes. Amen. The Lord gave it to you. Live your life so that you actually like your life. Yes. Don't live your life where you regret your life. Live like, like today is the last day. Have fun. Eat steaks. Eat donuts. Eat cake. Run. Lift weights. Whatever fills your, you, you with joy, joy is your strength. Amen. Find things that fuel you with joy and not depress you. Don't let your life be one where you're always comparing yourself to other people and not enjoying life. Let the Lord fill you and equip you that you are precious to Him. He's put great things on the inside of you. Amen. Yeah. For those of you that love to eat healthy and you want, that, that you do that thing, baby. You do you, boo. For those of you that love to eat unhealthy, don't worry about it. Because even if you lose 10 years here on this earth, you're just getting to heaven faster than the person that's eating kale. So you actually beat them there. And all they're running, you beat them there. They'll arrive and you'll actually have to give them a tour because they're like, I'm sorry. I was held up. I was doing reps. Yeah, I saw you down there. 
How's that feel, Bubba? I just want to encourage everybody. You be you. All the way, all of you. Big or small, whatever it is, enjoy life. It's a blessing. God loves you. He cares for you. There's great things in you. Your words can encourage people, so use them to encourage people. Your hugs encourage people, so hug people. Amen? Be full of love, no matter what. But we're talking about the intensity of how many people feel uh, just straight up that we may not even, uh, people around my age, even get to the retirement age. I mean, Jesus could come back. (laughs) I mean, he nearly came back just a moment ago. (laughs) Actual fact, somebody just go online and check. Please, God, tell me we didn't miss it. (laughs) Wasn't there someone sitting there? Oh, no. Jesus, come back. I mean, it's at that intense level to me. I'm like, Lord, Lord, should I even do this or does it even matter? Because I don't know how much time we got left. And it's a weird feeling for me because I have young kids. So you're like, you want to see them grow up. You want to see them get married. You want to be a grandparent because all the grandparents have always said wait till you get to be a grandparent it's the best thing ever it's it's your gift for not killing your kids (laughs) 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 which i'm totally gonna do if the lord tarries that will be that will be me it's the greatest thing to be a grandparent but i don't know that i'm gonna make it i really don't and it's wild to think but there will be a generation and it could be us That doesn't get that here on this earth because he will return. So be ready now for when he returns. Amen. It's exciting. And we will not regret it. Obviously, your your fleshly brain can't fully grasp everything. That's why you try and study and read and encourage yourself about heaven and eternity. But you can't really comprehend it. So that's why you're like, man, I love I love my boo. Like, I'm gonna get to heaven and she's gonna have a where's her house gonna be? Inside of here, that's my wife's mansion, inside that room of my mansion. (laughs) Hezekiah stands at the door. I mean, it's wild. But you will have no regret in heaven. You will have no emptiness in heaven. You will be full of sheer delight. And it doesn't stop there that we will have the millennial reign of Christ where those born-again believers that caught the Jesus train out of town... We'll actually return to the earth with him in the second coming of Christ Jesus. That is exciting. And the whole world will watch the spectacle of the return of Christ with the entire hosts of heaven. Those of us that have have opened ourselves up, believed in Jesus Christ, repented of our sin, fully persuaded he's the way and give him everything. We'll return with him at that time and rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. And still during that thousand years, people will harden their hearts to Jesus. They will still choose to follow the enemy. And then will come the judgment seat of Christ, where ultimately all things will be judged. Everything we've said and done will come before the great white throne of judgment. The devil, all his agents, and every person that has chosen to follow him will be cast into a lake of fire. They will be forever sealed there, and we will be forever in the glory of Jesus Christ. If you believe it, give God a great big shout of praise. Amen. Glad to know that Hollywood did not get it right. Heaven is 
a much precious place. But we're beginning in Acts chapter 5, and this is a very potent scripture I'm about to read to you that really should stir you, I believe, and it's always stirred me. Acts 5 verse 1, many of you already know this. It says, there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. And Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money also was yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You aren't lying to us, but to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Yeah, I went down there to the river. My Uncle Tommy, he dead. Well, they could think about this. Now, the reason why I want you to draw this is understand the prophetic dispensation of time was that this is the exact moment we are in, in prophetically speaking, where the Spirit of God was released upon the church. The new covenant church exists to build the kingdom of God. And the glory was so strong that a person that lied died. Boy, if that was applied to Congress right now, we'd have a lot of vacant seats available. Amen. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, Lord, may the glory fall. Okay, anyways. Obviously, my heart is not that anybody would die. My heart is just may they get right with the Lord and may things turn around. I don't, I don't celebrate evil. And you can try and call me a hate speech person all you want, but I do not celebrate evil. Yeah. Evil is wrong. It destroys people's lives. It's crushing people. It's, it's, not, it's perverse. This is the last time generation we're in calls evil good. I will never call evil good. Evil is from hell. I bind hell. I lose heaven. I stand for glory and for righteousness. Amen. I, I wave at people. I'm a kind guy. I buy stuff. I help old ladies across the street. I do all good things. And I believe most people are good. But in the midst of that, there's still a pressure upon this generation to embrace wickedness and sin and treat it as though it's normal. It destroys people's lives. And I said this several times, but I believe America will not be Sodom and Gomorrah. May it be Nineveh. May she hear the word of the Lord. May she turn her heart back to God. May revival come and spread across our streets. And may God give us a reprieve. Otherwise, we are getting out of here and tribulation is beginning, and at least we caught the first train out of Dodge. Yes. I mean, that's that. And I'm not mixing my words this morning, am I? No. You're following with me. That's the time we're in right now is it's getting so real. You better know Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you know, honestly, every major revival and the beginning of the church was birthed on one single act? It wasn't just the Holy Spirit being released. It was the Holy Spirit being released, which brought something very important. And that was men and women to a place of true repentance. America has got to repent. And when I say America, I mean people in America. It's got to get personal to you. The kingdom of God is not something, if all we do is just celebrate it in a church that's on fire, but we're not on fire, then we are not where we're supposed to be. You got to make it personal. Where, where are you with God? Is there things in your life still dominating and controlling you? Is sin rearing its head constantly in your life if so cry out to God get real with God ask God to help you if there's been things handed down for generations in your family and you want them broken off let it break on you 
let the things be set, severed off of you so that if the Lord does tarry, your children don't see it and they don't fight it and they move on to a better place in the, in the things of God and they see greater things than you ever saw. But if not, if Jesus is returning, my gosh, may he come back and take you home. Repentance is a personal thing. It's not just a corporate thing. Amen? Amen. So that's where you got to get real with Jesus and be like, help me, help me. Anybody in here ever got mad and said something you shouldn't say? Amen. One, two people. What was this about lying? How many people got mad and said something you shouldn't say? I did it. Dude, I do it. Then, then you learn to suck it up and go to her and be like, I'm so sorry, baby. I'm a stupid idiot. Or, or you say it to your kids. Or you say it to a friend. Or you say it to a camera. <laughs> if you really said something bad. But there's all sorts of pressures. There's all sorts of things. Make sure you stay clean. Make sure your heart is pure. Make sure you're full of joy. Make sure you, uh, you love the Lord and you're serving God with all that you've got. Here in Acts 5... The beginning of the early church, the glory was so strong upon him that a person that lied about giving fell over dead. Not only did he fall over dead, but when his wife joined the meeting later, which it said several hours later, so you know it was a lengthy service, that she walked into the church and he, you know, they had already buried her husband. So that just put some time. You ever, anybody, you dig, that's why, just so you know, graveyards were next to churches. You walk out there, that's why they were right outside the door, because people ain't going to drag that thing on down the road, they just bury them right outside the door. But modern churches, you don't see graveyards by them, because they departed from the glory and they embraced the program. And the program doesn't bring the same level of repentance and supernatural things as the glory of God. But to approach the glory of God, one has to humble themselves before the Lord God Almighty. You have to reverence God. You have to lay prostrate before the Lord. You have to give way to the King of glory. Amen. My dog, he yelled in the first service. We thought it was the security guard. We nearly cast the devil out. Then we realized it was the dog. No, but he did. My dog knows when I approach him, I feed him. I take care of him. I love him. He loves me. He jumps in my lap. Uh, he's, uh, we're the best of friends. But when I rise up and I'm like, hey. He falls to the ground, he rolls over, and he just lays there. Why? Because he reverence. He knows who the alpha male is. The alpha male is the king of glory whose eyes are like fire, his voice like thunder, his raiment like lightning. Come on. The angels surround his throne. You can't give him enough crowns because he's got too many titles. He's bigger than anything you could imagine. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning and the end. Before there was anything, there was him. In all of his glory. That's who the king of the church is. The king of the church is not the finance director, not the head pastor, not the denominational seat. It is the king of glory, the king of righteousness. And if you don't learn to make way for him, he will push through the door and he will make way himself. Because he's awesome. That's why I bow oftentimes in worship. It's literally a physical laying down, saying, you do what you want to do right now. I lay like my puppy before you, prostrate on the ground, so that everybody knows he's the king. He's the one in charge. He's the big one. I'm a nobody. 
other than a mouthpiece that talks too much. And so the Lord said, let me try and use that mouthpiece for something good. And there's that. If you like to talk, maybe the Lord is calling you into ministry. The Bible says those that love to speak will eat the fruit thereof. So you might as well go into ministry so you can eat that fruit. But the glory of God was so strong in the early church that lying caused someone to die. Could it be that as we approach the coming of Christ Jesus, that holiness will come back to the people of God? Old time prayer meetings where they prayed through the night, sawdust floors and oil lamps with no hype, no agenda other than Jesus, we love you. We are expecting you to return very, very soon. And we press in and we press past and we forget about the cares of this world and we forget about the timelines of this world. We turn off the social media devices. We set the phones aside and we get into the secret place with the Most High. Could it be that we get back to that place where crowds gather outside of buildings waiting for doors to open because there's such a hunger that the presence of God is awakened on the place? Could it be that we, we find in this generation buildings with signs and wonders of fire leaping from them like we've read in the past as the glory of God is showing a beacon of hope to a world and people walking in there are being healed before they even realize what is happening? Could it be that the glory could get so strong that hours could disappear and we wouldn't even think about it. Could it be that the glory could be so strong that the world would take note of it and be, once again begin to bring the sick in from all the villages aside just so that a shadow could pass over them? Well, I tell you, you can't get there from leadership alone. The only way the church gets there is when the whole bride is reverencing the king of kings and saying, Lord, search us. It has to be pure. It can have no ill motive whatsoever. It cannot be something you seek after for fame. It cannot be something you seek after for a platform. It cannot be something you seek after for fortune, for wealth. It is something you only seek after because you're so in love with Jesus and so yielded to his presence that you say whatever he brings is what we desire. And I believe that we're there. I believe that we're there. I believe it's going to spring up more and more across this nation. I believe we're going to see signs and wonders such as fire leaping on buildings and lights appearing and crazy things. We're, we're in, a, in a heightened spiritual time, but it's never been about the signs and wonders. It's always been about that comes when a heart is fully surrendered to God and laid before him. Then he says, I can trust this group of people with my glory, but he can't release his glory if there's sin in the place because those people would be judged and those people would fall and God is looking for people that would get right and act right so that nothing is hidden and nothing held back but the power of God can actually fully be released the Bible says of Jesus that he was given the spirit without measure because he lived right there was no evil or wickedness in him he was not moved by people's opinions he was Close to the Father's heart. And it's, may the river be that church. 
May we be a church called a river, not because it's a cool name, but because the river of God flows from this place that brings healing and brings deliverance. Maybe a place of repentance where people get set free of bondages in their life, where lies are no longer spoken, where gossip is not heard, but the glory of God is revealed. May it be a house where he's welcome. May it be a house where from the first lick of the first song, the power of heaven resides. May it be something that is spectacular and glorious. May it be a a depot for the presence of God to pour out from this place for this region and beyond. Would it, could it be, well it can be, if we all got in one heart and one mind. But think about this. You have to come to a place, and I've had to come to a place as a leader, where you die to the comparison of how many people come. What's the number? What's the size? It's always, we're looking for something there to dictate if it's right. But Jesus never said, Count the people and figure. In fact, when David counted the people, he brought judgment on him because he said, your strength is not in the number of people. It's in me. It's in me. It's in me. So I've had to go through the ringer and I had to go through the process and I've had to realize that God is not concerned with building a vast number of people as much as he's concerned with building a pure person, a pure people. Because 300 in Gideon's army can do more than thousands in a, in a half-hearted commitment to God. And may we be that place, pure in every way, loving God, where we care for one another, where we fight for one another, where we encourage one another, where we pray, whether we got corporate prayer or no corporate prayer. Man, because the Bible says after this, do you realize this is something that gets spoken about when someone comes to church and dies? <laughs> I'm not, I hope, I'm not saying that this happened. Please, Lord, that would, that's not my goal. Amen? Amen? But when it happened, the Bible says people were scared to join them. Understandably so. I mean, before you go walk among them, you're like, I don't know. I've heard about those people. I don't know that I'm there right now. But it says they also multiplied and the believers were at it daily. So there was two things, a holy reverence and fear to the Lord. And then the people that were genuinely joining were sold out entirely to God. Man, that is awesome to think about. That in all the bells and whistles of church today... Could we just get back to the only thing that matters, the glory of God being present to save, heal, and deliver. We've brought in fog machines because the cloud of the glory has departed. But may we get rid of the fog machines and the real cloud be present in the place. Amen. And may, may people be caught up into the heavenlies. My prayer is that there's services that you don't even hear me speak. But you're caught up into a realm with God where He is speaking to you. And He is declaring things and He is showing things to you. Where He's speaking about your children and showing you things to come. We've had little kids in this place that run forward and they saw angels. and they're, they're, they, 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 they saw the heavens. They met their granddad right in worship. And they're shook to the core. Little kids because He is that way. God is that way in His graciousness. He's revealing Himself time after time after time to people. But it can't just be about church it's about him 
Apostles performed many signs and wonders, Acts 5.12. Signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly in the temple area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people held, had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. That's amazing. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Crowds rushed into town. Word spread like wildfire. The glory was so strong that people were, were traveling just to get there, bringing in sick people. And then there's such an expectation that's released when this happens that they didn't even care. These are not things that were created or, or, or taught. These are just things where there was such a hunger. They said if even his shadow could touch them, then that will be enough for them to be healed. Are you with me so far? I believe that we're getting there. Who's really hungry for God? I mean, it's like the more we look at the nations of the world, the more you've got to draw closer to God and say, man, I'm drawing as close to you as possible. You're my only hope as long as I'm on this earth, and you're definitely my only hope when I leave this earth. You're the only one that can protect, guide, supply, and supernaturally turn this thing around. And maybe darkness gets to prevail. I have no idea. I was reading that the other day about the, the, the son of perdition, the Antichrist spirit. And it says he'll remain secret until he who restrains is removed. Well, the restraining force is the church of Jesus Christ. It is you. You do restrain the enemy. Come on, somebody. When you pray, there is power release. Come on. When you bind him, he is bound. Come on. When you look at your children and you lay hands on them and you say they will be raised up in the glory of God. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. The devil can have a well laid out plan, but he does not have the authority to unravel what you have spoken over them. Amen. So cling to that if that's you. And you'll say, call it in your child. We call them in. May they know God. May they know God. May they know his ways. Father, we thank you. The prodigal sons will return in Jesus' name. They're coming back in wave after wave after wave. The world has tried to entice them, but they have found the emptiness of the world and the glory of God is upon the church in this hour and he's drawing them back in by waves and by droves. The multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision are coming into the house of glory and they will be a voice, a voice that says they've tried it all, but they found there is only one way and that way is Jesus Christ. Oh, my gosh. I feel it. It's like a magnet of God's presence right now. People just casting cares. They are done with the lies of this world. It's empty. It's empty. Everything in this world is empty. You can medicate yourself and drug yourself and, uh, and intoxicate yourself, but there's a time you get to where you realize all of this is nothing. And it doesn't do half of what I thought it once did. Sin is, sin is pleasurable for a season. But after that, there's people coming back. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I'm, I'm just teaching today, but I feel like the true church is re being revealed right now. Almost like the songs we said, up from the ashes. Hope will arise. Well, from the ashes of what the enemy has tried to pour out, the true church that was always there. She was just hidden by all the fluff and all the denominations and all the 
titles and all of this. She's coming out and she's purified like gold from the master's fire. The refining fire has gone through it. Come on, somebody. You've been through the furnace. Come on. He's consumed things you didn't want consumed, but you let it go because you trusted him. And now you're standing here saying, I'm the better for it. That's what's happening. And people were healed. I don't, I mean, I know that we're going to see crazy supernatural miracles in America. But I think the thing to take note of is it's actually not even about the miracles. The greatest miracle is the hard hearts being turned back to God. And I did say this in the first service, and I might have hit it at the start of this one, but I believe people that have opposed the gospel and people that have been used to perpetrate the plan of the enemy and the globalist agenda and communism and all this stuff, I think some of them are going to have really massive encounters with God. And it's going to be exciting to watch. Amen? Amen. Do you believe that? I genuinely believe that. I think we're going to see, even in the sports world, we're going to see divisions come where some sports teams go one way and another one's going all for the glory of God. Amen? You saw it with the Oral Roberts University and the basketball. People were slamming them, saying they should be kicked out of the, the Sweet 16 because they stand for antiquated values against homosexuality and men and women and, and all of these things. There, there's such an attack on the pure things of God right now because sin wants to be celebrated. But, I, and I really prayed. I was like, God, may Oral Roberts beat and then Arkansas beat us. I was kind of like, Lord, I, we're just going to have to have a moment together. Because I don't understand this. Arcan- Arkansas? No. But I believe we're going to start seeing things like that. I think it'll be signs and wonders to this generation. Amen? Amen. It's not about sports. It's about the kingdom of God and taking a stand. Right? Are you with me so far? So the church is growing, the glory is so strong, people are terrified and yet fully persuaded that God is real and everything's going to be wonderful as long as they keep themselves surrendered to his plan. People are being healed, miracles are happening, crowd is growing to the point where the church is so prevalent and so vast in numbers that they have to hire staff. Amen? And that's what happens in Acts chapter 6. It grew so much that gaps began to form. And as the gaps began to form, they handled it right. They said, we can't do everything, so we're going to pray. And we're going to select seven men that are full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith and wisdom to begin to govern the food distribution program at that time. Because daily, they were feeding people. And the Bible says that there was people murmuring and complaining. That doesn't sound like church at all, does it, Pastor Mark? I mean, never have I ever seen that in six years of pastoring. Everybody's like, it's wonderful all the time. Actual fact, in six years of pastoring, I have discovered that some of the things that bother people, I'm shocked by. Right. Like, literally, I'm like, that's, that's what they had a problem with? Like, my shoes? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I mean, I didn't mean to pick offensive shoes. They're just shoes. Crazy stuff that bothers people. This person wore jeans. This person didn't wear jeans. This person wore a dress. This person wore too much makeup. This person's hair was this way. This person dyed their hair. This person didn't dye their hair. This person had hair. This person didn't have hair. This person's hair was exposed. This person's hair was not exposed. You're like, dude, I'm sorry. But if my job was to please men, I would have quit the ministry a long time ago because it is impossible to please men. I'll tell you right now. And, and let me, church was never meant to be a place where everybody like totally agrees with everything. 
Family. You're, you have family. Do you agree with everybody in your family? Married people, do you agree every time your wife says something? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, shaka. Marriage counseling 101 right there. <laughs> Oh, absolutely, Pastor, every time. I want to meet the Lord, but I don't want to be accelerated in my journey to Him. <laughs> yep. We don't agree on everything. There's things you, but that doesn't mean you don't love. Doesn't mean you don't honor. Doesn't mean you don't respect. It actually is good to not agree on everything because then you get challenged. And challenging makes you search your heart. And when you search your heart with a pure motive, then sometimes you discover you were the wrong one. Sometimes you just find out I was right. <laughs> Which is strengthens you, you in some capacities too. Amen. <laughs> but never admit it. As my wife says, you can either be right or you can be married. Yes. And I said, you're right. <laughs> Just so you know, both me and my wife are very strong personalities. And so she's a very strong woman, but she does such a great job of letting me lead. And so I salute you, baby. Thank you for letting me lead. And man, if you... Your wife does not let you lead. Maybe you have to look at your leadership capacity. Maybe you're not leading well, and that's why she doesn't let you lead. <laughs> Security! Security! Oh, men, men that are like, submit, woman, submit, woman, but you're like a total goober. <laughs> Work on you, boo. Like, become a man that's worth submitting to, and then she would lovingly submit to you. But if you're a jerk that forces your way every time and doesn't have love, the Bible says that you're supposed to love like Christ loves the church, which means you sacrifice for the good of them. And then they desire to follow you. How, why do you follow Christ? Because he gave everything for you, so I'll give everything back to him. He's made you very devoted. You want a devoted wife? Love like Christ. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm just really, actually, what I'm doing right now is trying to get brownie points with me and the girl, you know. <laughs> what else you want me to say, sugar lips? <laughs> You feed it my way. I love, I love my wife. She's precious. My little honey bunny over there. All right. Back to the word, people. Y'all are all over the place this morning. It is a miracle that I even am able to preach with a crowd like this. Hecklers over there. <laughs> as they, as the, this is what's precious about, let's read Acts 6. It says, as the believers rapidly multiplied, 
there are rumblings of discontent. That's what started this whole thing. Greek-speaking believers complained about Hebrew-speaking believers. What? Wow. Saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time preaching and teaching the word, not running a food program. And so the brothers select seven men. I just felt like they had to have that, you know what I'm saying? Like, we should spend ourselves to teaching and preaching the word, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Absolute wisdom. You can't do everything. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. Amen. Anywhere there's a gap, there's a need, there's a place for someone to step into. And the more people answer that call, the greater the effect the church has in the cities of the world. And so we are grateful for everybody that has stepped up. This church is full of servers that just serve in many capacities. My, my hat is off to you. I salute you from the bottom of my heart. And so, you know... Before I was ever a pastor, that was me. I, I served on multiple serve teams. I ran cameras. I cleaned toilets. I ran security. I did ushers. I uh, helped with tent revivals. I would set up. I did TV audio, front of house audio. I did everything you could do. I even served in the bistro for the pastors when they were eating between meals. And I remember the first time I did it, they had lamb balls. That sounds bad. But... <laughs> Meatballs made of lamb. Let's try this one. Amen. <laughs> Just eat it. It'll make you a man. That's how we get the anointing around here, brother. If you kill it, you got to eat every part of it. You, sir, got those. He got the mutton. Okay. Meatballs made of lamb. And I, I, I was walking in there, you know, serving the, the, the man of God and all the pastoral staff. And I was really nervous. And so I'm carrying the plate. And like, I... I I'm looking at the pastor as I'm handing the plate to this dude, and I didn't realize my meatball, she went a-rolling. And bro, right, plop right on the lap of Adeline Cruz. He's like, a, he's like a musician guy that was there that day, and he's just big old meatball right in his lap. And then you don't really think. You just think, grab the meatball, and then it got, bro. In the purity of your heart, you're trying to make things better, and that's, that's the last time they let me serve in the bistro. Some things you're, you're not qualified to do. Move on. I have never shared that story publicly ever. <laughs> the things we do in pursuit of the Lord... I quickly realized I am not called to this ministry right here. I was so ashamed to run back in there, I just hid in the kitchen and tried to cry. I tried to cry. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> but I figured if tears would come, they wouldn't put me back in there. But they did put me back in there, and that was even more awkward. They were looking at me like, 
what's he going to do this time? So they hire staff. We are grateful for the staff here at the River Claremont. The Lord has brought some incredible staff here. And uh, if you've not you got a chance to meet them, when we do new members, you'll get a chance to meet all of our staff. We're very blessed with some extraordinary talent and really heart. And my wife and I say that's what we look for above anything is the attitude. Like a good attitude towards I'll do anything for the kingdom of God. That's what's necessary to move. The, th- the church is not a business. People have taught seminars on that. It is not a business. You adopt that mindset, you have already erred. Church is not a business. It is not something you govern as your, as your, as your own entity. You don't own it. You don't possess it. Church is a community of believers sold apart to build the kingdom of God. He's the king, and we're all servants within that. Amen. As long as you get that right, you're going to be okay. And we, they hired staff, but what's precious is they hired them, and the Bible does say for food distribution because it's very important. The Bible says the gospel being fully portrayed to a generation is seen in this, that we meet the needs of them physically, plus we preach the word uncompromisingly with signs and wonders so that we would meet spiritual needs too, because Christ cares about the whole of the person. That's why, beloved, I wish above all things thou mayest prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. All three layers of your life, flesh, spirit, and soul, Christ is in the business of redeeming and prospering. Amen. Because he's a good God. I'll say it again. He's a good God. And all the time, he is good. And so they were, they were hired for this task. But there's a man that stands out in Scripture named Stephen. That he was one of the seven men chosen. But yet when hands were laid upon him to signify the hiring of him for food distribution... Stephen was a man with such purity in his heart and such a hunger for God that he tapped into the anointing of God upon the apostle's life and actually flowed in the same level, if not maybe even greater, dimensions of the supernatural things of God. Because very quickly, Stephen was, was brought before the city leaders because he was performing such mighty signs and wonders. And the Bible says preaching so strong, it was hitting the hearts of men and no person could rebut him or stand against him because he was powerful in demonstration and powerful in word. May we have that on Thursdays here. Amen. I really, I mean, may we have miracles. May people be loved on. May, may people be challenged. May the glory of God be on the food ministry. Amen. Because Jesus is right smack dab in the middle of that. It was so powerful, he angered people. I mean, he angered them because they couldn't stand his wisdom. And so he's brought before leaders. And if you read Acts 7, the entirety of the chapter is such a lengthy rebuke from Stephen. He goes through everything that, they, that religion ever did wrong. I mean, he held no paunches. If you were there, you'd be like, Stephen. Bro, they got it. They got you anymore, they're going to kill you. And he's just like, you bunch of stiff-necked, hard-hearted, you've never really seen the glory. I mean, he just tears them down. And then he's like, look, I see Jesus. And that was it, bro. <laughs> that was it. They're like ripping their necks, their shirts off, kill him. And Stephen's like, look, it's wonderful right now. He was, <laughs> he was in another place. 
so much was that place he was in that as they drug him out and began to stone him to death, Stephen didn't feel a thing. He's sitting there saying, God, don't hold it against these wonderful people. They know not what they're doing right now. Oh, got good one, Brew. Oh, good one there. That's a ringer right there. That's supernatural. Which goes to say when Jesus was challenging the fullness of the gospels and these things, love God, love your neighbor, love your enemies. Because if you only love people that are good to you, what good is your love? It's tapping into something that is not in this world. It's not from this world. It's greater than this world. It's above this world. It's eternal, steadfast. It's the love of God. Church, live with that. Live in that realm. Because Stephen was in the flesh when all this happened. But what happened was the veil was lifted. And Stephen saw into the glory realm of God. And he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. And when he saw Jesus standing, what was happening was Jesus was giving Stephen a standing ovation. He said, finally, I found a boy, a man, a man that'll stand, someone unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I died for you, Stephen, and I'm standing to welcome you home. Man, I feel that. Live so that Jesus will give you a standing ovation. And you'll never regret it. Of all the applause of man, it is empty. But if the Son of Man stands. Ooh, Stephen walked into glory with his head held high. Saying, "Woo! you weren't there the day I tore the Sanhedrin apart. Powerful moment in Scripture. Every one of you will have this experience. The veil will be lifted from every one of our eyes. It'll be lifted from unbelievers and believers alike. Everything will be made clear. Everything will be made evident. It is right here before you right now. But there's a veil that where we see in part and know in part and prophesy in part. But the day will come when the veil is lifted. The veil will be torn. You'll enter in and you will know in a moment if you did it right or you did it wrong. But your life will be tried by the fire. It'll go through the process and Christ will stand there with his arms stretched wide to those that knew him and loved him and say, enter now into the fullness of the glory of the Lord. Oh, it's real, baby. It's real. It's real. And if it's a hundred years from now before you experience this, it'll be like none of that ever existed the moment you're standing on those streets. So precious, so real, so everything. I'm sold out, fully persuaded, unwavering, not backing down. There is one highway. It's the highway of holiness. His name is Jesus Christ. Everything in this world will come unraveling. This earth will come to an end, but his word will never end. These three things, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love because when we cross over and the veil is lifted, you no longer need faith and you no longer need hope because you're standing in the fullness of love. That is why we do what we do. And that is why we gather on Sundays, not because we're hoping that we're going to get out of jail. We're gathering because we are excited about the one that we belong to. His name is Jesus. And when they killed Stephen, they took his clothes and they threw him at the feet of a man named Saul. Saul was fully behind it. He sat there, maybe even threw a rock or two himself. 
A man that was so hard-hearted to the things of God because he thought that he was doing something righteous. There are people that are so passionate about what they do because they think they're in the right. And those are the ones that God is going to show up for. And they're going to have a road to Damascus experience. But I believe not only that, I believe in the presence and the anointing of God. Years ago, before we pastored here, we were traveling evangelists and we visited here. The church was totally different. Nothing looked the same. There was a big, big uh, stage that stuck out fully. And I was sick as a dog that day. Uh, I had some stomach virus from Washington State. My whole family stayed away. I preached. Felt like I was just the room spinning. But I preached on the anointing. On the oil of God, the true presence of the Lord, that it is not yours, it is His. And all you can do is be a vessel that says, Christ, here I am. And that day, sick as a dog, I said, I will not back down. I will stand for you. You just have to move through me. And as I preached that day, there was a, a, bucket, or a buck, bunch of t-shirts right here on this stage. It was different. But a bunch of t-shirts from a drug rehab center that was up in past Leesburg, up somewhere north of here, that had visited that Sunday to raise funds for their organization. As I preached on the anointing, I gave an altar call. This whole area was filled. People were saved. Young people visiting. It was a powerful moment. The guy from the drug place took all the t-shirts. And he went back up north to his rehab place. And then the next night, we, we, we entered Sunday night. And the man was back in there. And he was excited. Monday night, he's back in there. More people he's bringing. Tuesday night, Wednesday night. This guy's coming every night and bringing tons of people. So I went to him. I said, bro, what is happening? He said, you will not believe what happened Sunday morning after you preached. I took all the t-shirts back to the drug rehab center and I called the guys from the drug place to come out and just begin to unload the vehicle for me. And he said, every person that grabbed those t-shirts that were on the stage fell under the power of God in the parking lot. He said, they were laughing. They were rolling. They weren't in the meeting. They didn't know who I was. I, didn't ha I don't have a name in ministry. I'm not this big thing. It's not about you. It's not about a name. It's not about being in a building where people are shouting. It is about carrying the oil of God, yes. the oil of heaven, yes. the true saturating power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the saturating power of God flowed into Stephen's clothes. And when they put them at the feet of Saul, something transpired. Something supernatural took place. And a call, a call was handed to another man. Because what Stephen was cut off from doing, God said Saul's going to complete the work. Because he is faithful to complete that which we begin. Ah! Man, is it not fluff? This is not Pentecostal jargon. This is not something someone created to have a prayer cloth go in the mail. This is something from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That there is a transference of the power of God to those that are submitted to the heavenly realm. And Paul didn't know it. He thought everything was great. Fully on board. But when that thing touched him, the next thing he knew, he's walking down a road, minding his own business. But suddenly a light shines about him. And that light is not a bright light of a flashlight or a train. It's the light of the eternal glory and shining of a flame that cannot be extinguished. That was lit before there was ever a sun. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. 
He's real. Paul knew he was real. He didn't even need to really ask. He said, who are you, Lord? Because he knew the moment that the light showed up. This is the one that everybody's got to believe in. His name is Jesus. He's precious, holy, wonderful, kind, welcoming, yet challenging. Holy in every way. You can't diminish him. You can't weaken him. He's never tired. He's never stressed out. He's never worried. He's never far away. He's always right there. His strength has never waned. His word has never failed. His presence goes before you. His angels are encamped about you. His word is a lamp to your path. His spirit illuminates the spirit of man and leads that man forward. He's everything good wrapped up in one. He's everything perfect held in one. He's the fullness of God standing in the flesh. His eyes are full of love and yet also strike in you. Such a reverence and an awe and a fear that you dare even look back at him. He's perfect in every way. And he's the one that wants to have a relationship with you. So in any call you've ever heard, it was never about, will you join the church? Will you be a number on a screen? It's will you be a name in the Lamb's book of life? Will you come to him and let him know you and you know him? That is the most precious thing. That can ever be given to you here on this earth. It's for everyone. It's for every person. All you got to do is believe it. Receive it. And step into it. And what happened was Paul asked two very important questions. And I'm closing now. Meeting Jesus for the first time. Acts chapter 9. In the King James Version there are two things that Paul says instantaneously while meeting Jesus. Who are you Lord? To signify, if you read Philippians 3, Paul says, everything I have to give up in this life in order to know him, I consider it to be rubbish. He actually uses the term dreg or refuge. He considered it as nothing compared to what he is going to gain in Christ Jesus. Pursuing and knowing God is the most precious, the most incredible life you will ever have. You'll never be bored if you're truly pursuing the Lord. He will challenge you. He will put you in uncomfortable situations. He will place you in areas you never dreamed possible of being. He will reward you in ways that humble you so much. You will cry tears of joy as you sin in all of what God has done for you. He will heal when you don't have faith. He will protect when you don't need, know you even need protect it. He will guard. He will watch over. He will fill you with a joy that is so real that when everything's crushing you and you should not be happy, you will have a joy that the world cannot take from you because he will put it there. At death and destruction, you will actually laugh and it will be genuine because something in you is so strong that it cannot break you because you have a kingdom unshakable within you. Who are you, Lord? Well, who is he to you? Is he everything to you? Is he everything to you? Do you read about him in books or could you write a book? Because I tell you, if you live for him, you'll be able to write a book. And a million books times a million books times a million books still cannot hold a candle of how good he is. And how many things he's already done. The Bible says if all the history books could contain it, they still couldn't equip or eclipse or hold what Christ has done. He's never stopped. Even though he left, he never quit. 
He's still moving. He's still flowing. He's still going because he said, when I go, it's good because I will actually multiply what I do because I will release my spirit. The spirit of the almighty will come upon the earth. He hovered over the deep, but now he'll hover over you. And not only will he hover, but he'll fill you. He'll fill you and make you brand new. For in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. They will dream dreams and see visions. There's a glory realm. It's right here. It's a hair breath away. And all it takes is the surrender of a heart saying, that's it, God. As for me and my house, there is one way, only one way, and it is you, God. You're my way, my always, always been my way. And I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you. Thanks for listening to the River Claremont Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in seeing lives touched and changed by the love and power of Jesus, you can give online at www.riverclaremont.com. Your prayers and financial support are changing lives.